You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, this evening we uh, turn to the Gospel of Luke. I invite you to turn there, Luke chapter 2. This is a special kind of one-off sermon in the book of Luke as we just wrapped up Titus last week. And before, in August, we begin um, our trek through Genesis. Uh, That trek, I'm not sure exactly how long that will last. We'll do at least the first three chapters, maybe the first 11 chapters um, before pausing and then reassessing whether we'll come back at a later date to finish up the book. But we'll begin with that first chunk of Genesis next week, Lord willing. But this passage we come to tonight is one in recent reading through scripture that really struck me and caught my attention and my imagination in a new way. And I was deeply edified and wanted to be able to preach that this evening. And it also um, augments something that Paul said in Titus. In Titus chapter two, verse 11, he wrote, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people speaking of that first coming of Christ. And so we see this today in this grand announcement of Christ's coming by the angels. So let us turn our attention to God's word. This evening is from Luke chapter two. We'll read verses eight through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Think easily, we have the mindset that this episode, this passage is reserved for a Christmas service. But it lays important groundwork through the gospel of Luke and Acts of who Jesus is and what he does. Why has he come? This is paradigm setting for us to understand who our Savior is. And in this passage, we learn the mission of Christ and why he has stooped to earth for us. Many times we focus on the shepherds here and their experience. And yes, indeed, the shepherds were some of the lowest of society. They were considered dirty or considered less than sometimes. They often were not even permitted to testify in judicial trials. They were seen as something as outsiders because they weren't really as well connected to the rest of society as others. They spent most of their time out in the fields, taking their flock from green pasture to green pasture all throughout the year. But their role in society was crucial. They were important. And what they did was well known among 
the culture. We're going to focus less on the shepherds, though, as we consider these angels. Focus on them this evening and understand why they're there and what they said and significance as we understand our Savior. And they are proclaiming a Christ who is the only Savior. The announcement of a Christ who is the only Savior. And it's a call even to us today to look to him and trust in him. We're going to consider first the angelic presence and second the angelic message. So let's consider the angelic presence. First, the angelic appearances are not peaceful, serene events. We see here when the angels appeared, when first the angel appeared, the shepherds were terrified. In verse 9, they were filled with a great fear. They were afraid as this angel shone, showed up in the night sky. And it led to that angel first saying, fear not, do not be afraid. And with, them, with him, he brought the, the brightness of the heavenly glory with him as it lit up the sky. This is not a touched by an angel moment. If you remember the 90s TV show, this was a terrifying moment. This is a military appearance because angels are military warriors. Even this morning in our passage in Psalm 34, verse 7, it speaks of angels. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Encamping is a military figure of speech. And they deliver, which is a military term. And so this is not a peaceful, serene event, but this is a terrifying, warlike event as these shepherds are sitting in the night. It is likely, the commentators will say, that this is the angel Gabriel. Gabriel, if you remember earlier in Luke, at two different points is explicitly named as appearing to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, and then Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so Gabriel appears twice in Luke chapter 1. It is likely, can't know definitively, but it's likely that this is Gabriel as well now appearing in chapter 2. Gabriel also appears by name in Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9. And this man in Daniel chapter 9 named Gabriel appears also in chapter 10 of Daniel. And it's important because this, this man, angel, Gabriel in Daniel is a warrior. He's there to fight for Israel against the Assyrians. The Jewish scholars before Christ's coming, these were a group called the Essenes, at Qumran, you may know the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is the community responsible for creating those scrolls. In some of their literature depicting the end, final battle, the end of all things, they spoke of military shields. And on those shields were written the names of Gabriel and Michael, the archangel. So Gabriel was thought of and known as a military figure. And so this angel appears and carries with it images of military power. But that continues as it's not just one angel who appears. It's a multitude of the heavenly host. Multitude of heavenly hosts. Many upon many angels show up in this appearance. I remember as a kid having some animated um, movie of this episode. I remember so vividly all these angels appearing like a choir dressed in choir robes and they're singing wonderful melodic sounds. But this is not a picture of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. 
as beautiful as it is, the songs that they sing. This is not a choir dressed in robes beautifully singing. This is a band of military warriors with their equipment ready, and they're willing to go to war at a moment's notice. So they appear with the cry of victory. And the Christ has only just come. He's only just appeared. But these angels are absolutely sure that the victory is won. And so they're coming, announcing a victory. And they're beginning even here to celebrate the victory of Christ. We see that Christ's incarnation, his very incarnation is spiritual warfare. These angels testify that spiritual warfare was already happening at this moment when the Christ child was born. God entering our realm united to human flesh. He is going to war with Satan and all of his offspring from Genesis 3. He's coming to do battle and Jesus brings his entourage with him. All of the heavenly hosts ready for war, ready even as it stands with the victory cry. He's coming. It's not a battle against flesh and blood, as Paul says, but Christ is coming to do war with all the principalities over all evil and spiritual forces. And so the very presence of these angels demonstrates it's wartime. Their message indicates, though, that the war is as good as over already. So we have the angelic presence. Let's consider the angelic message. And they come announcing, in verse 10, announcing good news. They're coming to bring good news. And this is another way to translate. This is, I come to proclaim the gospel. Or if you want to be kind of a, a wooden translation, I'm coming to gospelize. Taking the word gospel and, and making it a verb. Coming to proclaim the gospel. This is the same word used of preachers and preaching. It is a proclamation of good news by a courier sent out to spread the news far and wide. And even this word was originally used in military settings. On the battlefield, when there was victory, they would send a gospelizer to go back to all the towns and the villages to announce the victory is done. And so they are coming. They are that first cry that victory has come. It has arrived on the scene announcing the gospel there's four aspects of this message to consider. First comes in verse 10. It's the result of the good news. It is a good news, they describe, of great joy that will be for all the people. The result of this good news is joy. The gospel fundamentally brings joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That is not just something to sing in December. It is something for us to revel in all year long. The joy of salvation is something for us day after day as we remember what Christ has done. The gospel is announcing joy. Christ has done something for you. And Christianity gives hope and joy because of Christ. Christianity focuses on him, who he is, what he has done. If we look only to ourselves and within, we have no reason for joy. If we're navel gazers, our joy is going to evaporate. But if we look upon him, the one who this thing is all about, the one who's accomplished everything we need, that is where joy, Christian joy, true joy, deep abiding joy that the world cannot rob us of comes from. So the gospel brings joy. 
And then we come to verse 11, and we see actually the substance of this good news that is being proclaimed here, the proclamation of good news itself. And it's this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the good news. This is the proclamation. The king has come. God has come. The incarnation itself is essential to the gospel. The God of heaven and earth is here. It's, how, it's not how you would expect. He is now born as a man. He is born in our flesh. He's born in the city of David. Gregory of Nazianzus, I've quoted him before, from the 300s AD. He says, the unassumed is the unhealed. And Christians have been repeating this generation after generation. The unassumed is the unhealed. God had to assume human flesh in order to heal our flesh. If he assumed anything less than the fullness of human nature, our human nature would not be healed and forgiven and redeemed. And so this is an announcement, the very first announcement that the gospel has come. Christ has come. There is good news for you because God has now become incarnate for you. He's redeeming your nature for you. He's coming to die for your sins. Our flesh needs redeeming. It needs forgiving. It needs to be healed of the scourge of sin. It needs someone outside of us, yet someone like us to do this redeeming work. And so the Savior's come. He calls him a Savior. A Savior has come. This baby is a Savior. And it's a term used for those primarily who provide physical safety and rescue. So physicians were called saviors. Governors were called saviors. But yes, military leaders were called saviors as well. A savior, a leader, one who can protect you, one who can save you. And it's not just physically here. He is now the savior of your soul to save you from sin and death. This is the savior to end all saviors. No other savior is needed, but that which has now come in the flesh. And the savior is Christ. Christ, which is just the Greek word for the Hebrew word, Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew version, Greeks, or the, and Christ is the Greek version. This is one who was anointed. One who was anointed by God. The kings of Israel of old were anointed. This one is anointed for this task. This is the one who is the fulfillment of those, those songs of Isaiah, the songs of that servant who had come to suffer, the one yet who was still anointed by God to suffer on behalf of his people. But yet while he suffered, he was still gonna be king. And as he was king, he was gonna be prophet. As he was prophet, he was the priest who not only offered the sacrifices, but himself was that sacrifice. This is the anointed one by God. But the anointed one, maybe in, in Israel's mind, many people thought it would just be a, a man, just like David was a man, just like all the Old Testament prophets were men. This Messiah that was coming, maybe it was just a man like us. But no, this is Messiah the Lord, Christ the Lord. God is our Messiah, announcing very clearly that it is now God who's in flesh, anointed by God to save you. The Lord, this is that Old Testament word, Yahweh, how it was translated into the Greek. This is the Messiah, Yahweh. 
The Messiah that was here is God himself. God is the victor. God is coming to accomplish. God is the fighter. God is the warrior. God is the one to take on all the powers of evil darkness by himself for us. The Savior who's Christ, the Lord. This is the good news. God has come to fight. God has come to redeem you from the curse of sin. God has come to forgive every single one of your sins. He has come. This is the good news that is proclaimed by the angels, that's proclaimed week by week all across the world to look upon this Savior, to look to him and be saved. The angels go on after speaking of the, the result of good news, the proclamation of good news, and now the angel shows us the sign of good news. This is not what we'd expect in verse 12. And this will be the sign for you. We'd say, and he's now in the palace in Jerusalem with the best tutors, the best, best scholars, the best robes he could, you could possibly find, with the richest apparel. No. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. How does God come to us? Not with pomp and show, but as one who is here not to gain popularity or respect in the world's eyes, but one who is coming humbly to serve and save. The juxtaposition shouldn't be lost on us. This raw display of military power in the fields to the shepherds. Well, Christ born in the lowest place of all. This humility in the manger with the display in the field. They've come to tell the shepherds about an infant child who's crying in an animal's trough. That child is your savior. And then we have breaking on the scene, all of that multitude coming. The military procession is here. And what they do is praise God. The doxology now results from the good news. With the good news, all we can do is praise God as these angels have done. And they proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Again, less Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir and more military leaders cheering and yelling these things and screaming, filled with their military gear, but their war vehicles. This is a display of power and praise to God for what he has done. Glory above in heaven and earth and what that glory has done with Christ coming, it is now peace on earth. Peace is the result of his great conquest. Christ's coming was to bring peace. Christ's coming was now to enable you to rest. This peace comes in a number of ways. One is that you are no longer trying to earn or prove anything because in Christ, you are victorious. In Christ, you have eternity secure. So you have peace, but even more than that, that speaks, it shows us that we have a peace with God. Christ now as our mediator, reconciles us to God. Christ is the one who brings us to the Father and having peace with God, we now have peace with one another in the household of God. Peace 
is the result of his great conquest, but we know what it took for Christ to earn us peace. It took this baby growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, growing in understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, knowing his mission now was to go to Jerusalem and to die for his people, but no day in his life, not a single moment, a single hour, did he turn away from his father's will. But every day perfectly obeyed and fulfilled it, who accomplished all righteousness, who did everything that is required of mankind, and even above and beyond in his healings and his teachings, only to be killed as a criminal. This is though how he brings peace, to reconcile us to God, because as long as there is sin remaining in you, there is no peace, there is no hope, there is no joy. But Christ brings the peace. As he, nailed to the cross, takes all of your sin with him and gives you his perfect righteousness. This peace is what Christ has come to accomplish. Christ has come, yes, to forgive you of your sins and how wonderful that is. But above all, he has come to give you peace now and forever. Give you peace with God. You no longer have to fear. There's there now for no con- there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You can have peace and rest because of him. Because of this child, the angels testified to, now seats, is seated at the right hand of God the Father. The angelic message of the gospel. But we see, I do want us to come back to the shepherds briefly. Consider their response to all of this as we conclude. This was an astounding moment in the history of the universe. This was the very first announcement of Christ's coming. These shepherds, these poor shepherds, these outcast shepherds were the first ones to hear of Christ's coming. The first ones to come have the opportunity to worship him. But can't you imagine if this has happened, had happened to you and your friends who are hanging out at midnight in the fields? After this, would you look at each other and say, did that really happen? I can't imagine what they were thinking. Did they think this was all one big hallucination? But they went down the row and every single one of them said, yeah, I saw it too. Yeah, did you see that one over there? He was scary. Did you see what happened? Did you hear the voices? Did you see the light? Yes and yes and yes. So their response, maybe they didn't know exactly what had happened. And there's an understated response in verse 15. They say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. How can we not pursue this? How can we not find this Christ child? How can we not seek him, the one who is a savior, who is Christ, who is the Lord himself incarnate? Let's go find him. I think on the way they got more excited because in verse 16, it says they went with haste. They were eager to find out what the angelic message was all about. And in their searching, they found him. They found the Christ. They found the one who laying there, helpless as it were, was at the same time upholding the universe by the word of his power. The one who came to rescue them. Have you found the Christ? The Savior, who's Christ the Lord? 
the one who is the bringer of cosmic peace, the one encircled by the heavenly hosts of angels, the one to whom these military angels testify that he is the victor. If you found him, in him, there is great joy that is for all the people. Let's look to him with faith resulting in joy and give him praise all the days of our life. Let us look to him in prayer. Thank you, O God, for the testimony of these angels who came with all might and power to testify that Jesus Christ is here. The victor has come. God is incarnate to conquer Satan and evil and all sin. And now as those who are the recipients of that great conquering that Christ did, we rejoice and we praise you. Thank you for our Savior and thank you that we are secure in him. In his glorious name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.